welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, hey, welcome back, and as always, thanks for listening. Let's talk about church for a second. Specifically, let's talk about megachurches. A lot of megachurches are popping up. Megachurches, uh, 6,000 plus, some some of these guys. Um, now, definitely there's a transition going on. Let's look at the transition in its entirety, okay? And just see kind of what we're looking at. The passage that I'd like to look at is actually in Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And uh, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to line some of this out a little bit. So, I'm doing the ESV version right now. But uh, Matthew 9.14 and following, it says, Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts an unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or the patch tears away from the garment, and and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, this is an interesting situation, okay? Because, to be honest with you, uh, not a whole lot of theologians, uh, some, well, let me back up. There's some agreement on what that means. But to be honest with you, it, in in a lot of context, it sounds like Jesus is going off into la-la land for some reason. But he's not. Now, traditionally, what this has been pointed at is the comment with the Pharisees. Because uh, the disciples, and these are disciples of John, okay? Disciples of John, uh, in fact, I think Andrew was a disciple of John before he became a disciple of Jesus. And John taught the the uh, baptism unto repentance and uh, so was having a change of heart and he was of course John the Baptist we call him was setting up the stage for Jesus now 
Now they also, though, mention the Pharisees. And usually anytime you throw the Pharisees in there, a Protestant brain goes right to negative jazz. Um, so ultimately the a, a traditional thought process on what Jesus is talking about is old religion, old Judaism versus what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing is way different than their stuff. Their stuff's gone. I'm in. Everything's cool. And the answer to that is, well, yes and no. Um, no, Jesus is not throwing Judaism under the bus. Um, yes, Jesus is pointing out that something new is 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 there, and it's a renewed, and it's and it's an expanding, and it is something fresh. It is a transition, and in a way. The example he uses on the cloth, you know, you got an old cloth, new patch. That when you wash, when you if you put that those things together and you wash them, the new patch shrinks, and then it pull tears, right? Or the new or the wine skins. Uh, people don't realize that as wine ages, um, the grapes, uh, the bacteria in there eat the. You know the sugar in the grape, in in the grape juice, and then as that happens, alcohol is made, but also gas. And so, uh, you, if you have an old wine skin that's actually expanded to the point it can go, and then you put new wine in it, when the expansion happens, it's just going to blow it up. So, in but this is a metaphor. Okay, it's a metaphor. For the fact that um, Jesus is renewing and doing in, in something so much greater. It's not that the Torah is bad. It's that Jesus is the Torah himself. And it is so much broader. It's, it's like comparing a flashlight to the sun. It just can't compare. But, uh, and so, in a way, I feel like Jesus is really talking about attitudes in your heart. Um, but, how does this, how does this fall into uh, having to do with megachurches? Well, in some way, you got a lot of people gravitating to large urban areas now. Um, a lot of resources there, a lot of jobs there, a lot of tech jobs there, a lot, a lot of, uh, uh, and a lot of the younger folks, man, they got great technolo technology degrees. And so that's, uh, you know, you don't go out into the boonies necessarily unless you're with the, you know, Parks and Wildlife Department and use a lot of tech jazz. What you do, you go to an urban center and that's where you get your, and that's where the jobs are. Hmm? So, what's happening is, of course, these churches are popping up as well. And uh, they're uh, not unsavvy with marketing. And they're marketing their, their little hearts out. And the marketing itself is causing an expansion. Now, I'm going to say, uh, this natural transition, yeah. Um, 
good, bad, indifferent. Hmm. I I think I think I'm gonna have to say we'll see. For this reason, on the one hand, I am super glad that people are getting together in church. Okay, and and they're meeting and believers are getting together and worshiping Jesus. I am like ecstatic over that. What concerns me is the inerrant, the and or the uh, the pitfalls that can occur when you start doing a massive church. And I've already mentioned this before. I mean, uh, all of a sudden your staff goes uh, to like four deep. Uh, you're not going to see that senior pastor unless you're. Well, in fact, even if you're dead, <laughs> he may not come to your funeral. So I mean, it just depends. Because why? They get six thousand people. You know, if there's going to be some people in there that you know that pass away, and he can't be running around doing everybody's funeral. So the issue is. Um, there's some give and take. There is some give and take in expansion. Here's the thing that really gets me in the gut, though. And I've mentioned this on a prior podcast, and it works this way. When you get that big, you tend to, as a church leader... And I've worked in churches, okay? Not big churches, okay? I've never worked in a mega church ever. And to be honest, I don't want it. But the issue is, um, worked in small churches, and, and the principle's still the same. The larger you get, you start getting tempted to work at the lowest common denominator. Now, In ministering to people, you have to open up to everybody. And, I'll, to be honest, a lot of these megachurches swear up and down they're doing it. So I'm not going to say they're not, because I don't know that. I have heard sermons from pastors of megachurches that were very social gospel, kind of not super biblical, okay? Um, and let me say this. No matter how large the church is, a successful church is not a successful church unless they're growing people with the Word of God. Now, People uh, absolutely have to have that. And to grow, you must be challenged. You must be challenged. There must be conviction. If you don't get conviction out of a sermon over a long period of time, then something is wrong. Because you cannot change unless someone is trying to get you there. Because I'll be very honest, that's pretty much what Jesus was getting at. The whole time he was here. And then some. Is change. Change. To be more like Jesus. Be more like God. 
because God, because Jesus followed the Father, and the Father instigated the Old Testament, which is what Jesus was following, so that people would understand how to behave and to, and, and to help each other and to be a community and to be a family. It's not about the gatherings. It's not about the food. It's not about the coffee. It's not about the jeans. It's not about the tattoos. It's not about the shirts. It's not about the, the flip-flops and the, and the pool parties and all that fun stuff. That's great fun. And, there's, and I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with any of that. But here's what I am going to say. If you meet like that, and that's all you're getting, and you're not learning and growing in the Word of God, which, by the way, the way you do that is with expositorial preaching. Alright? That is almost a dead art. Now, what is that? What is that? I don't know what you're saying. Expository preaching is, and and you can wiki this, okay? The, the definition doesn't go off the chart. It's, it says, a form of preaching that details the meaning of a particular text or passage of Scripture. It explains what the Bible means by what it says. Ah, okay? explains what the Bible means by what it says. Not by what I feel it says, what I think it says, what, what some weird funny feeling I got in, in the seat of, my, seat of my pants or something like that. Actually, what the Bible says. One preacher that I know said that the job of a preacher is to bring the ancient to the present. And you can't do that if you're not trained to do it. And if you don't have the heart to do it. If, and there are, now, let me just say, the primary function of a pastor is not social worker. That's not it. It's not party planner. It's not wedding planner. It's not funeral planner. That is not the primary job. Never has been. Show me that in, in, in the Bible somewhere because the church, the early church, went off of the, the synagogue model. And the synagogue model had a, uh, had a kaisan, a, a servant, had a rabbi, and then uh, a cantor, which that's the modern word, but someone that led, this, that led the singing. And they were very small. And they were very small so that you could get together and, and, and do stuff and 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 really, and by do stuff, I mean help each other. Now, larger churches get away with that by making cell groups or study groups or word groups or they got five million different, different words for that. And that's great. But the issue is still, you've got to be getting the Word of God. That's the primary function of a pastor. Now, oddly enough, ran across an article on NPR. And I don't look at NPR very often, but I'm saying concerning megachurches. And uh, this particular um, this particular article <laughs> it was interesting. Let me see if I can find uh, July 
14, 2023, in the religion section, nprconline.org. So this particular pastor mentioned something like this. And he's talking about mergers of small, older churches in larger and younger, larger groups that come together and, and then merge their, their situation. And it says that Tumblr, Tumblr, Tum, Tumberlin, excuse me, Tumblin, sees it as a win-win. It's the beginning of the quote. The larger church gets its membership. The smaller congregation gets a great communicator in the form of a that dynamic pastor, but also a local pastor who does not consume or dis, who's excuse me who's not consume or distracted by preparing sermons ten to twenty hours a week every week. He says that gives them time to serve the congregation. Now, what he's talking about here is actually satellite. You have a megachurch, and the megachurches have these satellite groups. And then each satellite will have its own pastor. And they're saying, well, yeah. And then the senior pastor will have his message, you know, beamed over. And then you would get to see that on a massive LED screen. Um, again, not necessarily knocking that. But I am going to say, a pastor's job, and here's the quote that really gets me, is, is, the, is the quote, who's not consumed or distracted by preparing sermons 10 to 20 hours a week every week. Holy Toledo, that's their freaking job. Now look, if you want a social a social group, if you want social services, then hire social services. Get you a bunch of workers in there. Get some party planners. Get some stuff, but don't play around with it. Don't 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 slap a pastor's title on some dude and make him a party planner. That's just ridiculous. A pastor preparing sermons is their job. That's their function. That's what they're supposed to be doing. The initial, now, because the shepherding issue, the shepherding issue has a lot to do with the leadership, and the leadership has to do with their connection with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And that means what they're saying from the pulpit. And, by the way, the pastor's job is to prod people. to change. If you got people sleeping out of wedlock, I'm sorry, there ain't no way you can fix that. Um, <laughs> you know, the Word of God is pretty straight up about that. It's, a dis it's, it's basically a recipe for disaster. And I'm, to be quite honest with you, if you look at the divorce statistics, I think, yeah, I think I think there's a point there somewhere. When you got a lot of people who who are making kids and have absolutely no qualms about dumping them somewhere or dropping them with the other person, that's what I mean. And now, 
that sounds like a tangent, but I'm just saying. That's why you have to listen to the Word of God. And if they're not addressing the really hard issues and decisions of, look, God has this standard and we're not doing it, and if you don't do it, this bad mojo happens to you. So it's, it's a matter of personal responsibility before the living God. Now, here's another, here's another interesting thing that's going on, and not in mass, but a lot of folks are going from Protestant groups to some of the older groups, like Catholic and, and Orthodox. Why? Because they have, tra they have tradition. <laughs> and at least the, their tradition is you don't do this kind of stuff. Because the church says that's hor horrible for you because that's what the Word says. Now, again, conviction. Conviction is a healthy thing. Is it fun? No. But it's enlightening. It is enlightening because you have to come to grips with the behavior you've got to change. If you don't, then you're destroying yourself. Because literally, if God says don't do it, and you do it, there's a penalty. And it's not because God's a cosmic killjoy and just wants you to suffer. It's because, basically, if you drink poison, and God says please don't drink poison, don't drink poison... And you drink poison, and you start croaking. Well, the, what the heck? You, God, why didn't you stop me? Well, why didn't you stop you? <laughs> so, that's what the Word is about. That's why it has to be the central function. All the other stuff, all the other stuff, all the all the, the dinners and the and the lunches and the coffee and the, and the, all that's absolutely backseat to to prayer, Bible study, and outreach. Now, believe me, I think some of these megachurches got the outreach thing going crazy. But I'm saying this: if you got three megachurches in a city, why in the world are there any homeless in that city at all? I mean, for real. Some of these people have <laughs> budgets the size of multi multinational corporations. It's tripping insane. And, but I'm saying, hey. And I'm sure they are. They're reaching out. They're reaching out. And there's a lot of stuff going on that's super fantastic. But I'm just saying, wow. So, I'm in a city with several mega churches many probably five I can think of off the top of my head so anyway getting back to the brass tacks is this the real gut wrencher for me with a mega church is the church leadership because if they water stuff down to meet the lowest common denominator of that group they're going to keep their job, and they're going to get a lot of money, and they're going to get a lot of stuff. But you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to be engaging the Holy Spirit, and they're not going to be engaging the Word of God, and people are going to leave. Because eventually when you have that attitude, 
and you don't emphasize the Word of God, you don't emphasize prayer, Bible study, outreach, you don't do that, when, when, when conviction and putting the Word out as it is becomes an afterthought, then that church becomes an afterthought in God's head. Because just because people meet together as a church doesn't mean God has anything to do with it at all. See, that's another thing. People think that just because you got a big, a massive church over here, then, then God's got to have something to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. Not, not, it can, but it doesn't always mean that. But if, but if you can find a massive church where, where I mean, and, and again, you know, uh, I'll have to give MacArthur credit. Uh, again, I've mentioned it before. I don't agree with him on some stuff. But I'm going to say this. People are getting fed in that church. And it's huge. P ministry's going on. Prayer's going on. In that church. So, now... If you take MacArthur, put some tattoos on him, put you know, put him in a a, a cotton shirt with a vest, some pair of jeans and some flip flops. I don't know. Maybe you could pull some people in. You know, maybe that'd be more appealing. But hey, I don't know. I will say this: you can grow in that kind of atmosphere. So, that being the case. I want to encourage you. Keep on keeping on. Thank you on. for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your life.